Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, a podcast with me, your host, Damian Mason, where every week we get together and discuss issues that are impacting the industry of food, fuel, fiber, and farming. We keep it interesting. We keep it enlightening. We keep it educational. Sometimes we keep it fun. Today, we are talking about money. That's right, money. Interesting thing about farm crowds. You say the word money and they cross their arms and then back away from the table like you just said a naughty word. Farm people have never made any money. I make this joke all the time. You talk to the average farmer and rancher, they're, they're just getting by. I mean, they just are just barely getting by. Somehow they have millions of dollars of capital and assets, but they're just barely getting by. They always got to pretend they didn't make any money. But you know what? That's ridiculous because this is the Business of Agriculture podcast. It is a business and it's our business. Businesses make money, otherwise they don't exist. And I want you to make money. We're gonna to talk to two guys today that are bankers. They are financial experts. They're smart about money, and they're gonna help you make more money by managing your money. So we're talking about money for farming, agriculture, finance, as it pertains to our business. Welcome to the show, Ross Key and Jamie Schinnebarger of Springs Valley Bank and Trust. How you doing? How you doing today, Damien? Well, I appreciate you coming on. We are in ag's fifth year of downturn from the boom ending in 2013. So we're going to find out from you guys, how are things really when it comes to ag's finances? We're going to cover what, what is happening today, and we're going to put things in perspective. And I should give you a little background here. Jamie, tell us about yourself and then Ross. Jamie's the president and the CEO of Springs Valley Bank and Trust. Tell me about you. Well, I, I grew up on a small farm, at least by today's standards, a Centennial Grain and Hog Farm in Northwest Ohio. I graduated from high school in 75 and attended Taylor University in Upland, Indiana, home of Ivanhoe's, and uh, attended uh, uh, and, and for my undergraduate degree in business. And then I graduated, uh, graduating in 79. And in my 40s, I went back to school at Indiana Wesleyan, the Fort Wayne campus to get my master's in business. Uh, my first job in the field of finance was working for Federal Land Bank of Bryan, Ohio from 1980 to 86, which was a period in agriculture that was a major shakeout with double-digit interest rates and, uh, and land uh, decreases of 50%, land prices. I've, I've been a banker for 37 years, 24 years of that as a president, and 10 years I've been down here at Springs Valley. All right. By the way, Springs Valley Bank and Trust, dear listeners, is a bank in southern Indiana. They've got four branches, nice bank, nice folks, and they're also a client. They have hired me because they saw me do a speech at the Indiana Bankers Association, and they brought me down to talk to their business clientele and prospects about how to do business better. So I thought not only are they a client and friends, I don't bank with them. But they are clients, they are advisors, uh, uh, you know, they know what we're talking about. But also, I think this bank represents a lot of the kind of banking that uh, probably some of my listeners have. You know, it's a, it's a community bank. It's, uh, it's the sort of bank where a lot of the people probably listening right now say, yeah, that's the kind of place I do my business. Ross Key, you're the vice president and the ag relationship manager for Springs Valley Bank and Trust. Tell me about you. Uh, I guess I was four years old whenever Jamie had his first job, so... <laughs> Uh, I grew up on a, uh, hog and grain farm in Southwest Indiana, not too far from here. Still, uh, live around uh, the family farm and, and farms that we, uh, I grew up on. Uh, I, uh, graduated from Purdue in 1998, uh, with a, 
a bachelor's in agriculture economics. I went back home for a few years and then uh, went back to school and got my master's degree from Kansas State University. Uh, I guess made that decision because I was told by one of my uh, fine professors at Purdue that I needed to go experience some, some ag outside of what the, the main corn belt is here. And that, that was a good experience. And uh, basically, I, I still have a contract uh, hog farm that we have, uh, my family has. And uh, so I always tell everybody that pretty well all my uh, hobbies, my job, and my interests all revolve around agriculture. So uh, pretty narrow focus. So you're a little younger than Jamie. You're a little younger than me. Jamie Schinnenbarger brought up Federal Land Bank. Anybody that's, say, my age and older remembers the Federal Land Bank days, give us a little scenario on that because there's probably some of the younger folks are saying, what the heck was the Federal Land Bank? Also, we could put things in perspective on the 80s. Mr. Schinnenbarger, real quick. Well, we, we uh, you know, in, in the 80s and pre-80s, there was the long-term land financing element of uh, which was a quasi-government agency, Federal Land Bank, and then the short-term production side was Production Credit Association. And then in the uh, mid-80s, uh, probably precipitated by the problems of agriculture, they sort of converged to become farm credit. And uh, that's, you know, farm credit is, serves a purpose when they do what their mission is, which is Really, they were created to finance young uh, starting farmers, but they've moved away from that, and so they're, it's, it's, not, uh, it's, it's not somebody, it's something, somebody we compete with, and we are often frustrated by because of uh, some of the deals they put on the table, but uh, it was great uh, learning experience and uh, a tough time in agriculture. Yeah, the 80s were a tough time in agriculture. Everybody in the industry knows that. And I don't, uh, I try and tell the young people when I'm speaking at a crowd and I say, hey, I know you've heard all the thing, walking uphill to school both ways in a snowstorm barefooted, and I'm not going to pull that. I said, I'm going to put it in perspective for you, just to put it in perspective for young folks that don't know or remember the 80s. And I, I lived through it, you know, and everybody, you know, you got fourth and fifth generation of well-capitalized operations down the road going kaput. The fact that we made it on a shoestring is still surprising and impressive to me. But here's the perspective that I give. Things were so bad that banks stopped repossessing assets because they didn't want them either. <laughs> that's, that's the perspective I give. There, are, there were properties that were so underwater, the bank didn't even want them back. That's the perspective I give on the 80s. Uh, so, and by the way, you pointed out something, since we are talking about money, farm credit. Many banks have a little bit of a bristle when it comes to farm credit because you believe that farm credit, the farm credit system is not always doing what their intention was and they are a quasi-government agency that has a little bit of a better, uh, more competitive uh, situation than you. Is that, is that the way I should articulate that? Well, they basically their funding comes from bonds that are that have an implied guarantee from the federal government. So really we're we as a private enterprise are competing with the government and it really was set up in the 20s or 30s because of the tough uh the dust bowl days of ag and and the the challenges with financing for ag and what's happened is mission creep like there's happened with other agencies but you know they finance for example a big uh 
project for Verizon and some other places that are that don't seem to be in keeping with their mission. And so that's why bankers as, as a whole don't, uh, we don't like to, we like fair level playing fields. And that's why uh, we don't, uh, you know, we don't espouse those folks. Got it. Todd, I'm sorry, Ross. Uh, yeah. Springs Valley Bank and Trust. You are the face of agriculture for ag lending for Springs Valley Bank and Trust. Tell me about Springs Valley Bank and Trust as it pertains to agriculture. Uh, really, when I came on here, uh, the focus was to uh, start to grow that portfolio. Uh, we have, uh, we've done that. The big thing is, is we want to be, I, I want to be looked at as somebody that knows the industry. Uh, we're, we're locally committed to the people that we um, are around, who we do business with. Uh, it's a long-term relationship. We're not uh, going to, I want it to be understood and the way I look at it is, is this is a long-term relationship. Uh, we've seen it in our market area, a lot of the bigger regional banks when, when they're I guess, kind of fair weather friends and they, they come into the ag market whenever things are good. And then when things start to get tight, they start walking away from customers. And I, I mean, where, where I'm at, that's presented opportunities as far as that goes. It, it is hard times and, and tight margins right now, but it presents opportunities. And, and we want to be known as the guys that are going to be there through thick and thin and, and try to work through those things. So yeah, in 2010, every, everybody and her sister was wanting to loan money to agriculture, right? Oh, yeah. Not quite the same anymore. Okay. About one third of your bank's business is agriculture. And I think, you know, if, if there's somebody listening to this show right now and they're in, you know, Kansas or Oklahoma or anywhere that's agricultural, they're probably going to have a similar thing. You know, you go to these banks that are in, uh, you know, community banks and these smaller communities and you say, okay, about a third of our stuff is consumer and mortgage, a third of our stuff is agriculture, and a third of our stuff is, you know, the guy and his wife that owns Subway franchises down the street here. So you're about one third ag, am I right? That's right. Okay, what do you see? Uh, I guess probably the same we're seeing every place else that everybody's seeing. Uh, we're just seeing uh, tight margins, uh, uh, situations where uh, we're starting to see some pullback a little bit in land prices, not a lot around here, a lot of land rent being renegotiated. Uh, uh, really, you know, similar across the entire Corn Belt, but that's uh, – basically where we're sitting at and, and guys making tough decisions on um, what the next step is. Do they keep ground? Do they let ground go? Um, how do you continue to grow? Do you hold still? It's uh, especially for the younger guys. We have several younger producers and they're, they're kind of sitting here and it's kind of a hard, they, they got in when things were really good and this is a learning experience going through the, the downturn for the first time. So uh, just sitting and analyzing and helping everybody analyze where they're sitting at and how to move forward. So I get booked to do speeches sometimes for say uh, farm bureau, young farmer and rancher groups. And again, you've got to make sure that as a 49 year old, you don't act like the old wise sage on the Hill, but you also don't want to talk down to them. But as I told you, I can put things in perspective based on how things were in the eighties. The other thing I would like to point out, and I always do, this is ag normal. <laughs> up cycles like we experienced between 2005 and 2013, those come along about every 30 or 40 years, you know, Schinnebarger sitting over there, he, he, he may not actually see another one of these. I mean, uh, we, we'll, we'll probably see one in about 25 or 30 years from now. And that's just the case. 
ag normal looks a lot like this low margins because we always catch up on production i mean that's right. the reality of it that's exactly right uh we <laughs> high prices cure high prices and that's uh, that's what we've come through and we always seem to find a way to be better producers and to continue to uh get more out of the assets that we do. So that, that's something American agriculture has always been great at. Ross, should agriculture be worried right now? I mean, it, it, to me, this is a short-term thing and we have to find a good um, equilibrium, I guess, here eventually. You know, if you you believe in the free market system, we'll eventually get to that point. And it's just a, a trying time and a time that, Quite frankly, some guys are going to make it through and some guys are probably going to have to walk away from it just depending on how that they've adapted to the uh, current market scenario, production scenario, and things like that. But as ag as a whole, I just think it's such a vital part of um, the fabric of our, our, our general economy that uh, I'm not worried about ag being here or disappearing or anything like that. It's an ever-changing thing. But... Uh, for the well, if ag disappears, I'd hate to see what this country uh, and our general economy turns into without ag's presence. Yeah, well, that's the next question we're going to get to. Jamie's been around uh, a little longer, and he's been uh, down there with that bank for a while. But you know, and he's always worked in finance and in the rural community. When farm income is down, and we hear this stuff, we say, okay, the projection is we're going to be around what sixty. 60 billion, I think, this year. And back in the boom times, we were talking 130. So we're down under half of what the boom time farm income looked like five, six years ago. Everybody's affected. The equipment dealer's affected. The person that sells trucks and cars is affected. What do you see? I mean, we've, we've, we've uh, seen here in Dubois County, uh, folks like Farbass, which is confinement turkey production on contract. Uh, there's there's ripples through that feed mills, uh, seed and fertilizer uh, folks, uh, farm equipment dealerships, and yes, even banks that provide financing. And eggs a very uh, uh, capital intensive business. I mean, we can put a lot of dollars out in a hurry uh, for crops, equipment, and land. And uh, so we've seen a lot of that. And you you talked about my you know my my time but you know i i've seen several decades here i grew up as a farm kid in the 50s and saw the explosion of the 70s and lived the downturn of the 80s and caught my breath with some stability in the 90s and then we had that big as you said a strong uh decade in the early to mid 2000s and uh ag, ag has been cyclical and will continue to be so so we can't get caught up in in the you know the little thing, and 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 you don't farm if you're not if you don't have some optimism. You don't farm, otherwise you'd leave the seed corn in the bag. <laughs> uh, okay, we talk about this with bankers. They talk about distress, so they talk about you know d delinquency. So really, distressed is before it becomes delinquent. Am I right? Is that using the right terminology? Yeah, that's I guess we're looking at it, and uh, that's probably they're basically kind of one and the same. They work together, but what we're what we're looking at is is you're looking at seeing we're we're looking forward, and everything cash flow has gotten to be king with all the regulators and everything. So ultimately, you know, we're uh, you can make an argument 
that somebody might have a really good balance sheet and a strong balance sheet and a, and, and a good equity position. But even customers like that right now will get into a distressed or a delinquent uh, situation. And, and those are caused by cash flow uh, situations. And really, those are the questions you have to be able to answer to whenever it comes to examiners coming in. Uh, you, you can argue your way around it as far as uh, if you're dealing with somebody that has some staying power, I guess. But ultimately, where we're sitting at right now, that's the ultimate question you have to be able to answer to the to the people that we answer to. I, I know farmers get tired of answering my questions and things, but ultimately I'm answering, I'm trying to get answers from them so that I can answer to uh, the examiners that come in here that regulate us. So we all have to answer to somebody and that that's where we're going to so well i point that out all the time you know farmers pretend that they work for themselves they really don't they they answer to the customer i i work for you you've been my client uh you know we all have clients we all work for other people i point this out again and again and again there's an old earl nightingale quote that i actually have modified you know it's real simple every dollar you're going to make the rest of your life is currently somebody else's dollar so uh, we should always understand that. And you know, you serve customers, you serve clients, and obviously you're trying to protect them. One way we do that is with FSA backing. Uh, how many of your loans then require FSA backing from the Farm Service Agency? Uh, as a percentage, I really can't tell you, but we do a fair number of those. We do them both uh, on uh, construction of contract, uh, grower relationship, whether it be turkey, or swine operations around here. We have some of both. There's a, in, here in Dubois County, there's a tremendous presence of uh, uh, poultry in our area. So uh, those, are, those are backing there. And, and then we definitely are starting to see um, some use and an uptick here in using the uh, guarantees for operating uh, loans to uh, help sure up a, uh, a stressed credit and, um, Really, and basically what they're doing with those FSAs is just so everybody understands is the government is coming in and they get put a 90% backing to the bank on any funds that go out. And there's a lot of uh, things for us here at the bank to take care of to, to make sure that that guarantee is valid and in place. But uh, it just gives us the opportunity to serve people that uh, we might not be able to justify to, to the before mentioned examiners whenever they come in. But if you put a government backing behind it, it gives us the opportunity to work with those people and uh, figure out a way to hopefully get them from uh, here to a better time. Yeah. And by the way, it's interesting because people right now are listening, they're driving down the road and they're, they're listening to this. And you said something about, you know, equity position is good. Assets are good, but uh, you still got the issue of cash flow. And we can all get through, uh, and that's what ag has always done. You, you, you use your equity to get through, but how, how long until you start to have a problem? Right. And, and, and you know, the, the terminology that we use for that is burn rate, basically. And just how, how much can you lose for how many years to, to be able to get through to the, to the up cycle and get to where margins improve and, and um, you get back to where you can cash flow correctly and be able to move forward and, um, you know, it, it's all dependent upon where you're at. You know, you can, you can probably, most guys can probably stand to lose $20,000 for several years, but if you're losing $200,000 a year, it, it disappears pretty fast. So that's fact. Give me three things ag people do right. And three things they do wrong. If you can't give me three, just give me as many as you can think of what are ag people doing right? What are your customers doing well? 
Uh, I think almost all ag guys that have been in the business, they're excellent producers. Uh, they know what they're doing. Most generally, that, that's where their, their love is. Uh, I think I actually, uh, you spoke uh, uh, in Washington, Indiana, where I listened to you speak and you were talking about some of this, the, 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 the transition right now between production and managing finances and things is an area of stress, but they're, they're great at production. They're, they're been really good at, they're, they're adaptable to the, to whatever the situation is for the most part. I mean, ag has changed so much uh, from the time Jamie was growing up in the fifties on a farm to where we're at now. There's just been tremendous amount of change. Um, technology, uh, the vast majority of the guys have, have become uh, pretty adept at technology, especially pertaining to the technology used in the agriculture world right now. Uh, so, so that all that area around that, they just they're tremendous at. Good. What are they doing wrong? Uh, well, I would argue the guys that that tend to be really good in the shop and at production. A lot of times, that's where their focus is, and where we're struggling. What I struggle with is uh, financial records. There's not a farmer one that, that I know of that loves doing financial records, but especially in times like these, uh, it's really important to have timely uh, financial records and accurate financial records. Man, I can I, I can go to battle and, and fight for anybody that gives me those numbers and are good and accurate numbers, and we know what we're dealing with. But without those, it, it, it it's hard to make an argument sometimes whenever somebody continues to give you a – uh, an erroneous set of numbers and you just don't know what you're you're always kind of guessing at it well now come on uh, wait, then, a minute, Ross. Now, wait a minute because i remember years ago i went to my community bank and i i needed some money and she said okay i'm gonna pull out this financial statement uh from uh last year are things pretty much the same and i said how the hell should i know i made it all up back then too well that's a, that'd be a great example of what i'm talking about actually <laughs> so I, and i've heard that several times so <laughs> Okay, uh, that, that's a work in progress. I'll go back to your point, and I actually make this point from the stage to my ag audiences, and sometimes they don't like to hear it. I said, if you want to be the uh, agricultural person who doesn't want to talk business, not want to have relationships with all of your business partners, and you want to just be on a tractor or be in the shop, you can do that, and you'll be doing it for somebody else as their employee because that's where this industry is going. Right, I agree with you 100%. Um, you know, the areas such as that, marketing is a bit is another big deal. That's a, a area that I feel like we struggle with. Um, you're, I guess uh, we're emotionally attached to that, and if you can figure out a way to de detach yourself from the marketing aspect of it. But I, I use this year as an example, and I know I'm going to have conversations with guys that are going to say, well, man, it's been rough. I, you know, we, we – had to sell beans for $8 and 50 cents. And well, the truth of the matter is, is they didn't have to sell beans for $8 and 50 cents. They had plenty of opportunity earlier on to sell it for 10 plus dollars and, and need to be willing to make those uh, calls and, and put yourself, especially in these tight margin situations, put yourself into a profitable, profitable situation. And it, it, it might be hitting singles 
all the time, but eventually you'll drive a few runs home when you just quit trying to hit the home runs all the time. So I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. There was plenty of opportunity, and I grant you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. But we all know that sometimes people get a little greedy or they get too emotional on the marketing side. Jamie Schinnebarger, President and CEO of Springs Valley Bank and Trust, who used to be with Federal Land Bank, he's an old timer. He's been around, so he's going to give us some advice. Why do you want some clients, and why do you? What, why do you not want some clients? Tell me what is a great customer that you just salivate over? I mean, we obviously want uh, good operators and good managers, both in terms of production in the field, but also record keeping, as Ross said. You know, we like to show debt service north of one and a quarter, and we don't always get that, especially in tighter times. But uh, we don't want to have to chase financials. And we appreciate borrowers who consult with us before making big consequential decisions. And, uh, you know, we like, I think we like up to date operators that are at least open to new technologies, innovation, don't have to be doing the latest and greatest, but they shouldn't maybe still not have a moldboard plow. Just depends on, I guess, your location that you're in. And, and we understand that operators need, need scale to be viable, but we do respect those that take action to adjust their operations when conditions require it. So, uh, and, and, and back to Ross's, one of his fortes is his relationship with his, with his borrowers and it's a, a good communication line. We like people that communicate with us uh, and, and it makes his job easier because uh, if he has to chase stuff all the time, he can't be responsive to requests you have if he doesn't have the current year's tax return or the financials or the, you know, any adjustment on crop carryover. If he has to chase all that down, it makes it more cumbersome for him to give you what you want. Hey, I'm maybe not as savvy, and I'm out here listening to the Business of Agriculture podcast, and I just heard a banker say, we want debt service of one and a quarter. Explain that. Well, that means that we want you to be able to service your debt and have some reserve above one to one is break even. Okay. So, and and we have, we have a lot of operators on paper that are probably showing sub one debt service. If if uh, and for recording per, for reporting purposes, if uh, if they have that, we may have to downgrade the loan from a regulatory standpoint. Most of those borrowers are still paying. Uh, but it does create concern, and then it creates that scenario. If you're below one-to-one, -one, that means you're, you've started the burn rate that Ross talked about, and, and so now we have to pay attention to the credit more from a, de a defensive posture. You are obviously growing. Your bank's ag division is growing at a time when other banks are trying to chuck uh, their, their ag portfolio. You must be optimistic. What makes you optimistic about this business? What makes you pessimistic about this business, Ross? Oh, uh, realistically, I guess from a, I look at it from a national uh, economy situation and also security. Um, I don't know that it ever gets talked about very much, but man, the fact that we can produce uh, so much food and, and we can feed the people in our own country and, and do it cheaply, you know, we, we what is it, 10 to 12 percent maybe we're spending on our uh, – food here in this country it affords us the ability to let the, to drive the rest of the economy spending our dollars elsewhere and that's not the case everywhere in the world um that, that's one big positive thing and, and you know and the, the need for agriculture is great and as gdps grow across the the world we're going to continue to to sell more into other growing countries and, and things of that nature so there's going to be a drive 
and a demand for food always. So it's hard to get too pessimistic on the, on the situation. It's a matter of finding some market market equilibrium. Um, I, what makes me pessimistic is, in all honesty, is probably outside agriculture influence. It's it's not monetary. It's the the activism that we're seeing now, yeah. uh, uh, misinformation uh, that you have, uh, you know, that's going around. And, the, and I'm not saying that bad things don't happen, but we tend to tend, tend to react to one or two bad cases and, and uh, throw out <clears throat> uh, the baby with the bathwater kind of. Uh, scenario. Um, and I guess part of my thing is I would love to see the, the food industry to do kind of the opposite of what they've been doing here lately. And the fact that they would uh, start to educate some, some consumers as opposed to, I always give the example of uh, some of the cereal companies coming in and we have, we have non GMO oat cereal. Well, you know, there hasn't been any uh, GMO oats per, per produced. So, uh, why are you advertising that? It's just kind of uh, playing into what the active activism is, uh, and the reality is, is they're they're just providing information that's not it's not wrong, it's not false advertising, but it's just not necessary. I guess the truth is, Ross, you know, big corporations uh, and they hire me, and again, we work for them, but they are actually weak. They're spineless when you really think about it, because. Uh, the Environmental Working Group released a study, and I had a big commentary about last week, saying there's glyphosate, there's Roundup in your Cheerios. And they purposely right. said Kellogg's, Quaker Oats, and General Mills. The reason they've singled those three companies out, they know that those companies are terrified of losing cereal sales because cereal consumption is already dropping. So they know that just by shaking that cage and pushing that ignorance and that falsified study, or shall we say at least a uh, poorly done study, they're going to get those companies to cave. And that's where it really hurts agriculture because you companies cave, what are we supposed to do? That's exactly right. And, you know, they're providing to the end user. And uh, I think it's just bad for the in the industry as, as a whole. So that, that that's, like I said, that's where my uh, biggest concern is. And it, and it lies outside uh, our walls for the most part, the people pushing that. So, and it's, all based off of misinformation. So in my opinion, as we're getting up against the clock and I know you guys have other meetings, I'm talking to Ross key and Jamie Schinnebarger. They're with Springs Valley bank and trust a community bank in Southwest Indiana. They've been a client of mine. They have one third of their portfolio is in the industry of agriculture. I thought they'd be great guests, not only because they've been a client and their friends, but also I thought they could help folks that are in the business of agriculture because they pretty much represent what a lot of lending looks like in rural America. They are the place down the street that helps you buy that 80 acres. They're the people down the road here that help you put up that contract turkey barn, which is interesting. Many of our listeners don't even know what that is necessarily, but yes, we grow a lot of turkeys in Southwestern Indiana. So I'm going to close out here. You guys give me other predictions. What do you got for me? Jamie Schenabarger, you've been around a long time. What's your prediction? Something about agriculture. I think in the short term, if this stays, if the ag thing stays protracted, I think we might see uh, land values uh, off a little more. Uh, interest rates are creeping up, so the marginal guys that's going to impact those uh, quickest. And you know, I guess my my final comment before I hand off to uh, Ross is, you know, my dad was a lifelong farmer. And he always told me the U.S. has a cheap food policy, and it certainly bears out in our cost of household. Uh, food is lowest, uh, one of the lowest, if not the lowest. And I don't see that changing. And exports uh, in the ag sector is uh, one of the few surpluses that we have. 
And uh, with our advances in technology and science, that only makes ag a more critical component of the U.S. economy. And uh, my final thought is the days of uh, farming uh, 80 acres and feeding a few hogs and raising a family of four probably are gone, but the spirit of ag lives on. I agree with everything you just said. Ross, final thoughts, other predictions, piece of advice, what do you got? I guess my my final thoughts are is that this is uh, let's focus on uh, we live with the short term we focus on long term decisions and long term direction and we make decisions on uh, moving forward and planning to go into the next generation even uh, a lot of times even even in the good times we made uh, uh, some thirty year decisions maybe on buying a piece of ground that we were looking at a short term situation income situation where uh, maybe it didn't make a lot of sense. And I, I think that's uh, what my attitude towards agriculture is, is when things are rough here, we don't need to uh, bail out. We don't need to uh, be that concerned about it long-term. It's a necessary thing. It's a great thing, great industry uh, to be in, a great industry for our, for our country to be focused on. And uh, ultimately, uh, we'll adapt and change like we have throughout the years and, and be a major production major producer in the ag uh, world economy. So uh, I, I guess I just look at it, we're always going to have the opportunity and I'm always going to be positive on uh, agriculture. It's just, a, it's just a small bump in the road here and we just need to look forward to better times and, and push towards those. I've been interested and educated to have Ross Key and Jamie Schoenbarger with Springs Valley Bank and Trust on the Business of Agriculture podcast. I appreciate you guys being on here. I also appreciate you, the listener, tuning in to make this podcast successful and useful and beneficial to you. So thanks so much, guys. Thanks for being on here. Thanks, Thank you, Damian. sir. You betcha. And you've been listening to the Business of Agriculture. Check, check us out next time. Share it with a friend. Thanks so much. Till next time.